I pray this finds everyone doing well. And if you want to open your Bibles up to the book of Matthew chapter 8, and starting in verse 28, that's where we'll be, we are going to look at uh, two demon-possessed men on Gergesa, or Gergesa, uh, however you want to pronounce it. Um, we're going to look at them. Uh, this is uh, kind of a familiar story if you've grown up in a church setting in any way. Um, and we're going to look at five, um, if you will, uh, people, character, uh, however you want to term it. Um, we're going to look, of course, at Jesus. We're going to look at the two demon-possessed men. We're going to look at the demons themselves. We're going to look at the swine or the pigs, and we're going to look at the people. Um, because again, if you are following this podcast, you know that um, what we like to do, we like to really dive in and look at um, the humanity that comes from the scriptures to where we can really learn from them, uh, learn how to apply them. And so what we need to do is put a little context in here. In verse 28, it says, when he had come to the other side. So here we have um, Jesus coming to the other side of the body of water that they had been on. Uh, Right before this, um, in your scripture, you'll see that uh, Jesus calmed uh, the storm while they were out on the water. And... um, So as they have come to the other side of the water, to uh, this country here, uh, the Gergesenes, to the country of the Gergesenes, um, we are going to see these demon-possessed men. And it says, there met him, or Jesus, two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. So Jesus has just finished calming this storm, and as Jesus steps onto the land, these demon-possessed men apparently come out to meet him. Um, and Jesus, we got to understand, let's, again, we want to try to look at this from every aspect. Jesus is probably tired here after a long boat ride, after... after um, showing and using his power to be able to calm the storm. Um, And he's probably just looking to relax a little bit, uh, if you want to be honest about it. And this is usually what happens. Now, if you have read through the Gospels before and you read the Gospel accounts, there are a lot of similarities in that when Jesus is arriving on a boat and he's arriving to a specific area, the people come out to meet him. Um, The crowds come out to meet him. It's kind of one of those things that somehow word may have got out that Jesus was coming. And so a lot of the people who have um, sick family members um, or friends, uh, those that may have uh, specific issues that... Uh, Jesus can heal. They are the ones who really gather uh, there by the the shorelines, and they are uh, seeking out Jesus. So normally when Jesus shows up somewhere, there is a significant group of people that are 
uh, there to meet him. This is a completely different scenario. Jesus is showing up to this area, and two demon-possessed men are what is coming out to meet him. Now, the reason why I want to uh, bring that up is this. And again, you know, a lot of people may look at it and say, you know, you're being a little over-exaggerating by saying that Jesus was tired and he was, you know, this is Jesus, the Son of God, and, you know, he is always ready to do ministry. Listen, this is where I think that we miss the boat sometimes, in that we miss the humanity of Jesus. He was fully God, but fully man. And we so overemphasize the fully God that we forget the fully man part. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love to teach and preach the Word of God. I love to. I love to serve. I love to, uh, God has blessed me to go on so many mission opportunities to uh, for everywhere from South Korea to Africa to uh, Nicaragua and Honduras and Canada. And there's one thing I will tell you. And a lot of people may not realize this, but ministry is tiring. Probably the most tired that I am through the week is after the sermon on Sunday mornings. I am wore out. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, pastors, uh, they go home and they take them a nap after church. They're just lazy. No, preaching a sermon wears you out. And unless you're a pastor and you've preached a sermon, you don't know how wore out you are after preaching a sermon. It's just like, the only way I can describe it is you feel absolutely drained because you have just had this immense moment that the Holy Spirit has worked through you and it just feels like you are super drained. So I'm trying to look at it from that standpoint, realizing that Jesus has just been used in a momentous way by the Holy Spirit to do this miraculous in front of the disciples of calming the storm. And Jesus is probably wore out. Now, the reason why I say that is is this. Satan is relentless. So when Jesus is showing up here on this shore and he's wore out, and all he wants to do is relax. And, and and granted, it's not like Jesus is saying, oh gosh, here comes ministry again, y'all hide me. It's, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that sometimes when you're wore out, you just want to break from ministry just for a little bit, just to be able to recharge your battery. And what we have to understand is Satan recognizes those moments in our lives. And he recognizes that, and he is relentless. He is going to come after us. And so here, instead of Jesus showing up and people, in essence, to greet him in a good way, Jesus shows up here on this shoreline, and he's got two demon-possessed men coming out to see him. Uh, Because it says, there met him, and they came out of the tomb. So these people, these two men, saw Jesus coming, And they went out after him. So notice what we find here. As Jesus is entering this area, two demon-possessed men, and here's the thing, they apparently have a reputation because notice how they are perceived. Number one, they are exceedingly fierce. Now, 
that's an in, it's not just that they are fierce people. They are exceedingly fierce. Which reminds me of one of my favorite verses in Ephesians 3.20. That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ever ask or think. I love that verse in Ephesians because it's almost like God can do the ridiculous is how I always perceive that. That I can, if it's exceedingly above my thoughts, then God can do the most ridiculous things that I can come up with. And that's the idea here. These guys aren't just fierce. They are exceedingly fierce. And we're going to find that they are so exceedingly fierce that these people have murderous intentions. We're going to find that here a little bit later on, so I want you to hold on to that. But they're so exceedingly fierce that no one could pass that way. So not only were people not trying to pass that way, no one could pass that way. So in reading it that way, apparently when someone would try to come that way, something must have happened to where either the demons would come out and the people would run away or the demons may have actually you know, worked through these men to do something to these people so that no one would pass that way. So something happened. Now, Quarles makes this comment. He says, These regions were Gentile lands as confirmed by the large herd of pigs nearby. We'll see that a little bit later on down. And he also puts a little caveat in here from a historical perspective. He says, The tombs were burial caves in which fugitives hid at that time. So what we find here is that this area was a pretty rough area. Uh, So not only did you have these two demon-possessed people here, but this was an area where normally fugitives would hide in these caves. So we see that uh, this is not the place where you want to, to really show up. But this is what I also want you to see. You don't see Jesus moving away from this area. See, what we find in Scripture is that a lot of the times when Jesus does ministry, Jesus goes to the places no one else wants to go to. And that's why, and I think a lot of times people, well, I'll rephrase it. Sometimes maybe I don't say, I don't say things with, the perspective in which someone can understand where I'm coming from. You know, sometimes I'll make comments, for instance, about churches. And a lot of people may look at it and say, well, you know, he's anti-church or he doesn't like church. No, I just don't like churches that funnel all their money into themselves because that's not what church is. Church is the living body of Jesus Christ that should be going forth into the nations, uh, into the, the highways and the byways to make sure that the gospel goes out. As I mentioned in one of the last podcasts, churches aren't supposed to be putting up $15,000 chandeliers uh, you know, in their sanctuary. And what we do is we justify it by saying we want to give God our very best. God doesn't want your material wealth, okay? God wants the very best of you, and that is you going out and sharing the gospel. That's a big difference. And so that's why I have an issue with things like that. And so what you find here is that Jesus is going to the places that no one else wants to go to. I'm sure that that because of this statement, so no one could pass that way. This place had a reputation to where people did not want to go to this land. People didn't want to come by here, and people sure weren't going to go take the gospel here. But this is where Jesus is going to go. And what it does is it shows us what we need to be doing. We need to be taking the gospel to places that other people don't want to go to. But what we've done 
is we've allowed ourselves to become so comfortable in our church pew that we would rather funnel money for someone else to go do it than we would to get off of our own rear ends and go do it ourselves. And so what we do is we'll justify it and say, well, you know, Jesus wants me to take care of my family. He doesn't want to bring any harm to my life. I'd love for you to find the verse for me where it says, Jesus says, I want you to be comfortable. And if sharing the gospel causes you any harm, please don't do it. Find me that verse because you won't. What you do is you find me verses to where the disciples were willing to go into areas and be locked up in jail and be threatened with their lives in order to preach the gospel. Go into the book of Acts and show me where these disciples found it a joy to be locked up in prison in order to preach the gospel. See, that's the problem. We have got Christianity completely flipped upside down for what it really is. It's not for us to remain safe. It's not, you know, we spend more time praying for safety than we do for people to be saved. And I think that's the problem. You know, Jesus didn't get out of the boat here and say, God, put a hedge of protection around us. You know, that's junk. He got out of the boat and he was met with some demon-possessed men and he went to work. See, there's a difference. We spend more time asking God to keep us from things than we do for God to open up doors for us to do ministry. And I think that's such a sad way to live our Christian life. We spend our Christian life living in timidity because we're so scared to actually serve Jesus. Because we've been brought up with this idea that God wants the very best for me. God wants to give me all these things and God wants me to have my best life now. That is the biggest bunch of junk I've ever heard in my life. My best life is to come. My best life is when I'm going to spend all eternity with Jesus it's not here. And though I love my wife and I love my children, I cannot sit down and face, you know, and live my life in, with, with such timidity that I face God one day and say, you know, the reason why I didn't share the gospel, the reason why I didn't go on mission trips, the reason why I didn't go into that homeless neighborhood, the reason why I didn't pursue this and share the gospel is because, you know, I just felt like it was best for me to stay at home and, and take care of my family. People are dying and going to hell. There's got to be something that burns inside of us to get the gospel out. And Jesus is showing us that right here. That's the, that's the beauty of this. Is He's showing us this is what you need to do. And look here in verse 29. It says, And suddenly they cried out, the demons through these men cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, Apparently, we could take from this that the presence of Jesus upset the demons, and so they began to address him. Now, here are three very important things that we learn from this verse. The first one, notice what the demon said. What have you to do? What have we to do with you? They are trying to stay as far away from Jesus and wreck the lands and people as they can. What have you to do with us? Why are you coming and bothering us? I take this as, okay, Jesus, we're letting you do your thing. We're staying as far away from you. Why are you coming here? What have you got to do with us? Leave us alone and let us do our own thing. We see that this is a very tough area. We got criminals hiding out in caves. You got, instead of people coming and greeting Jesus, you got demons coming and greeting Jesus. So they're just saying, listen, we're staying away from you. 
you should stay away from us. Why, what, what, do, what do we have to do with you? Notice the second thing. And I'm reading from the New King James Version here, and I love the way it says it. Notice what they say. Jesus, you son of God. I love how they say that. And I'll tell you why. The demons recognize the lordship and the position of Jesus. But here's what I read into that. They also say it with disdain. Knowing that he's the one who would someday be their ultimate judge and destroy them. So they're looking at it and and you could almost see the disdain in what they're saying. They're, They're looking at Jesus and they're like, you son of God. They can't stand him. Because number one, they've already lost. And that's why they're in the situation that they're in. But then number two, they know that this is the one. This is the judge. This is the one who will send them to their eternal torment. And that's why they say in number three, have you come to torment us before the time? See, even the demons know hell and eternal punishment and suffering are real and awaiting them. That's why when people sit down and say, "Ah, you know, I don't know if this whole Jesus thing is real. I don't know if the heaven and hell thing is real. Listen, right here, we've got it. We've got demons that know their eternal destiny. They know that they are going to be suffering for all eternity in hell. And they're looking at Jesus and saying, why have you come here to make us suffer before we're going to suffer for all eternity? They already know their outcome. So we see three key things here from these demons speaking. We know that they know who Jesus is. They know his lordship. That is so important. And here's the bad part. Demons know the lordship of Jesus, but the creation, mankind, doesn't. We, we have so much going on today to where people don't recognize Jesus' lordship and they won't give him lordship. Jesus is just a, a prophet. He's just a good man. He's a healer. He's a guy who walked around, you know, uh, kind of like dressed like a hippie, walking around with free love to everybody. That's the mentality. That's not Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And we've got demons here who are recognizing that. And we should learn from those kind of things. We should learn from what we're seeing here that the demons are even addressing the reality of hell <clears throat> excuse me, and the reality of the suffering. They know their time is coming, and they want to know, Jesus, why are you bothering us? Why are you doing anything? Because we haven't done anything to you. Now, look in verse 30 and 31. It says, Now a good way off from them was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. So from these verses and up to this point, we can see and recognize this about the demons and their activity. I've got eight things here. You you need to write these down. And maybe you need to put it, uh, you know, pause it and write them or go back and re-listen But I want you to recognize these things because this is important for us. They control the host. So we see from here that these demons, from the verses that we've read up to this point, the demons are controlling this host. The demons force the men to go out and meet Jesus. The demons are are crying out through these men. The demons are acting out through these men. No one could pass this way. So we see that the demons are controlling the host. Number two, they are violent and they have violent intentions and methods. This is why the idea of playing with 
um, Ouija boards and sorcery and things of that nature is not a game. When you start dabbling in demonic activity, this is not a game. There is not one of these things to where you'll find a peaceful demon. You're not going to find a demon who has good intentions. And yes, demonic activity is real. Demonic activity is real. And when you, underst- when you see passages like this, you realize that demonic activity is not something to play with. Now, I also don't think that these people that you are seeing on YouTube and things of that nature who walk around throwing people in the floor, uh, claiming that they're casting out all the demons from these people, I think what they're using that for is propaganda. That's nonsense. So, again, you have the problem with the pendulum. You don't find a lot of balance. Warren Wearsby would always say that if there needed to be another beatitude, it would be blessed are the balanced. And I think that that's the thing, is oftentimes we don't find balance. We don't sit down and look and say, okay, this is what Scripture says. We either go to one extreme and say, okay, there's no such thing as demonic activity, or we go to the other extreme and we believe everybody's possessed by demons. And so what we do is we have these weirdos on YouTube that go around casting out demons from everybody all the time. Uh, And so we can't find that balance. But we do understand this, that demonic activity comes with violent intentions and methods. Number three, they communicate in the present. Now that's important because what you're finding here is they are actually having a present conversation with Jesus. They are not sitting here um, and there's, there's, it, it's not one of those things to where it's, it's a, a past or even to a point of future. They're in the moment. So this is... This is reality, I guess is the best way to say it. They're communicating in the present. It's a real moment. And we see number four. This is important. They prefer isolation. They've been hiding in tombs. See, God made people for community. God made people for relationship. When you are in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that is one of the best defenses against spiritual warfare. Because when spiritual warfare hits us the most, it's when we allow ourselves to be isolated. And in that time of isolation is when Satan is going to come at us the most. Because it's in those moments that he can have access to our minds. And that's when we have the thoughts and the doubts and the fears. Is when we're all alone and we are trying to rationalize and we're trying to figure things out on our own. And it's in that isolation that we struggle the most. Satan wants to keep us in isolation as much as we can. That's why there's people that say, you know, right now I think I need to just take some time and figure some things out. So that's why I'm not going to church. No, what you're doing is you are putting yourself in absolute danger. I'm not saying that going to church is going to solve all your problems. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is living in community with other brothers, sisters, and Christ will help you to be able to stay away from isolation, which will help when it comes to spiritual warfare. Because when you are all alone, that's when Satan can do his most damage. 
And then if he can keep you in isolation, this is where you find the demons hiding in the tombs. He will keep you isolated from people as much as possible. Number five, they know and recognize who Jesus is and what his position is. They already called him. They called him Jesus, you son of God. They know him. They know who he is. They recognize that, which is very important because they recognize their position in light of Jesus. Number six, they know God's plan and how they fit into it. They know their end. So it's not like they think that they can, they know what their end is, but they want to wreak as much havoc and they want to do as much damage as they can until their time, until they know that they're going to be cast into hell and eternal suffering. They want to wreak as much havoc as they possibly can. We also find number seven, they are aware of their surroundings. Look in verse 31. They recognized, okay, right now we we recognize Jesus is getting ready to do something. So they saw the swine and they said, if you're going to cast us out of these men, put us in the swine over there. So they are aware of what's going on. See, a lot of times I think we think that that when you think of, of, of demon activity or you think of spirituality, that it's it's... It's not really real. But these these demons are showing us the realness, the present moment of what's going on. They're recognizing what's going on. They're aware of what's going on around them. And then look at verse 8. This is the most important. They are under God's control. They are under God's control. How do we know that? Look in verse 31. So the demons begged him. The demons didn't command Jesus and say, listen, if you're casting us out, you have to put us over there. Notice what they say. If you cast us out, permit us to go. See, they recognize. The demons recognize. We can't do anything unless God allows us to. We can't do anything unless God allows us to. So what we're finding in this is though these men were demon-possessed, The only reason they stayed demon-possessed is because Satan kept them in isolation. He kept them in the tombs. He kept them away from everyone. But the moment they encountered Jesus, everything changed. The demons no longer had control. The demons were no longer in authority. See, they had authority as long as they were keeping these men in isolation. The only way that Satan and his demonic forces, as we see in Ephesians chapter 6 with spiritual warfare, we fight against powers and principalities. The only way that they can have any control, if you want to say it this way, in spiritual warfare in your life is if they keep you in isolation. As long as you allow Jesus to be the center of the scene, The enemy cannot keep you in isolation. But as long as you allow the enemy to keep you isolated, away from the Word of God, away from prayer, away from other fellow believers, it is going to cause you to regress deeper into the tomb. And the deeper you get into the tomb, the harder it is. And and, and I'm not saying that you're demon-possessed. I'm not saying that. 
Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you cannot be demon-possessed. You cannot be a follower of Christ and be demon-possessed. You, you can't. What I'm talking about is spiritual warfare here. As a follower of Christ, the reason why we struggle with doubts, with fears, with anxieties, is when we allow ourselves to be isolated and when we get deeper into the tomb. The reason we struggle with our prayer lives is because we're not spending enough time praying. Satan keeps us isolated from prayer. All right, think about this. When I talk to different people and I ask them these questions, I'll tell them, what do you struggle with the most? The number one and two answers that I find most of all is people say, I struggle with finding time to read scripture and I struggle with finding time to really spend time in prayer. Now, I want to say this. I understand what they're saying, but I also call, I don't think that, that you really struggle. All right, And I'll tell you why. When we think about how much time we spend on our phone a day and how much time we spend binge watching TV, I don't think it's that we struggle finding time. I think it's that we struggle managing our time. What happens is this. We went to work today. And man, it, we're just tired and we're wore out. So when we come home... We don't want to be responsible for anything. So what we want to do is we're tired, we're wore out. I've worked hard today. I deserve some rest. So what we do then is we pile up, we get on our phone, we veg out, we uh, just kind of disassociate with everything. We get on and we start binge watching some things so we don't really have to think about our day. And then we go to bed. The problem is, is we had plenty of time to be able to get into Scripture and we had plenty of time to spend time in prayer. The problem is, is we would rather do these other things. And so Satan keeps those things in front of us regularly and say, listen, you know, you've not done anything bad today. You're just tired and wore out. You deserve some you time. Well, yeah, okay, you may be tired, you may be wore out, and you may deserve some time. The problem is this. You will be better off by spending time with Jesus than you ever will spending time doing anything else. But Satan wants to keep us as isolated from the Word, from prayer, and from Jesus as he possibly can. Because the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend in His Word, the more time we spend in prayer, the less likely we are to fall prey to doubt, the less likely we are to fall prey to our fears. And so he's trying with everything he's got in us to keep us as isolated from these things as we can. Now, look in verse 32 through 34. And Jesus said unto them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So, now we get the real intention of the demons. All right? Remember I told you a little bit earlier that the demons had murderous intentions? We see that right here. We see that. They didn't go, they didn't, you know, they said cast us into the swine. Well, as soon as they did, they murdered, if you will, 
the whole entire herd of swine. Listen to what Coral says. We see the demon's deception and murderous ways in nature was clearly displayed in the senseless destruction of the entire herd. Here is a picture of Satan's ultimate aim for the world. So this is what he's wanting to do. This is the violent nature that we see here. It wasn't like they just got the demon said, cast us into the swine and we'll wander around. No, they had murderous intentions. They had violent intentions. There's nothing peaceful or good about their intentions. But here's the other thing we see. Let's notice the people here. All right, we see that the people have seen what's went on. And it says the people wanted Jesus gone. Now, why? Well, there's a couple of options. They maybe thought that they were being punished for idolatry or uncleanness. And they were afraid of what Jesus may, what else he may do. I mean, this is a Gentile bunch of people here. It's not like they're worshiping, you know, God in any way. They have their own, you know, idolatrous ways. Um, They're considered unclean in the way that they are. And so, you know, they may be looking at it and thinking that this is absolute punishment to them. So they're looking at it and they want him gone because they don't want any more punishment because they just lost their livelihood. But, but here's the other thing I want you to look at. No one cares about the two demon-possessed men. Not one time do you see that the people here care about the fact that the demon-possessed men are no longer demon-possessed. So it shows you how rough of an area that this is. And it shows you that these people, they, they're not, they don't have the soft hearts. They don't, they don't care. Now, this brings us to what did Jesus really accomplish here? See, here's where we face a lot of difficulties. We struggle with going to areas and doing ministry when we don't see the results that we want to see. I talked to one of my spiritual heroes um, a couple, uh, just uh, this past week, uh, Dr. Ergen Kander. And he made the comment to me. He said, you know, a lot of times people think because I speak so much, that I'm blessed to see all these people, you know, come forward and get saved. He said, very rarely do I ever see anyone get saved. He said, for the most part, I don't see any, anybody get saved. But he said, occasionally there's that one that the light bulb goes off and they get it. And he said, that's what fires me up. See, our problem is this. We think and we have this mentality that if I just go out and share Jesus, that people are going to be receptive and we're going to see the world saved and, you know, we're going to see, I'm going to go out and lead hundreds of people to Christ. It usually doesn't work that way. You don't see Jesus here, you know, I mean, you think about this. These people have just seen Jesus cast out demons of two demon-possessed men and you would think that they would just be in awe and be like, oh my gosh. You know, look what just happened. We want to follow this guy. No, they actually were pretty ticked off. 
They didn't see what Jesus done as something positive. They saw what Jesus done as something that really ticked them off. And they said, you know what? We want you gone. And what happens is a lot of times when things don't go the way we think they should, we're less likely to go witness in difficult areas. We're less likely to go. See, the problem that we have is Jesus never once promised us that because we go out and share the gospel that somebody would get saved. There's not a guarantee in Scripture that says, if thou goest out and shareth the gospel, multiple people will be saved. You don't find that verse. He just said, go. Go and make disciples. Our job is to go regardless of where. Our job is just to go and share the gospel. We need to quit worrying about results. We just need to go. It's not about making sure that we're able to see people saved. That's the goal. We want to see it. I'm not saying that you don't. I I mean, I would love if every time I shared the gospel with somebody that they would get saved, but that's not reality. But my job is still to share the gospel with them regardless of whether they get saved or not. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Our job is to go to the places that no one else wants to go to. Our job is to take the gospel everywhere, not just the places we want to go. We have to take the gospel everywhere. That's why as we are going, we make disciples. Jesus showed up here to the country of the Gergesenes. Probably not a place he would have picked to have gone, but this is where he showed up. And while he was here, he made disciples. He tried to, I mean, he, he cast out demons. He showed people his power. He showed people who he was. He showed people he was God Almighty, but they still rejected him. It's not about making sure that people say yes. It's about being obedient to God regardless of how people respond. So I pray this has been encouraging to you today. I pray it's challenged your heart. I ask you, if you will, to uh, whatever uh, platform you're listening on, to uh, please give me a five-star rating if this has been a blessing to you. And make sure that you write a uh, a review if possible. Um, And if you don't have an opportunity to do that on the platform you're listening, you can definitely do that on um, uh, Apple Podcasts. You can go there and give it a rating, and you can give a review there, and I'd greatly appreciate it because then that will help um, through the algorithms. That'll help this podcast get out there a little bit more to other people. Uh, Share it on, if you have a Facebook page or a Twitter account, I encourage you to share it on there. But most of all, I encourage you to go out and share the gospel today. Somehow, some way, pray that God opens up doors for you and use that opportunity uh, to tell someone about Jesus today. And most of all, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and you're listening to this today, I encourage you to understand the Bible says that we are all sinners and in need of a Savior. And I encourage you to find someone that you know is a Bible-believing Christian and ask them, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to repent of my sins and ask Jesus to be Lord of my life? And I encourage you to understand that today. Take the time to see how much Jesus truly loves you and what he done in order to buy you back when he died on Calvary's cross and rose from the tomb. I pray you have a blessed day. I pray you go out and make the gospel known to those around you. And we look forward to next week as we continue in to studying God's word and growing together.